We're in part two of defending the faith. The question we're going to answer tonight is, is there absolute truth? Is there absolute truth? <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, well, that was easy. And we're dismissed. <laughs> Quickest TED Talk ever. Uh, so a while back, a pastor attended a lecture about marriage being an institution between a man and a woman. Of course, for the last several years, that has been a huge conversation in the Supreme Court and the local churches. Uh, within the Methodist Church, they have recently decided to um, change the Methodist Church not to allow the LGBT group to split off, but to become an LGBT-inclusive group. And any church that doesn't want to be LGBT-inclusive can leave. That's what the Methodist Church has decided. So marriage between a man and a woman has been a hot-button topic for years. This pastor attended a conference about marriage, and so afterwards he, he was at a dry cleaner as he struck up with a conversation with a young lady there. She said she was a Christian, but she didn't believe that people should insist on any one true definition of marriage. She said, I don't think we should be telling other people what they should do. What's true for me might not be true for them. We all have our own truths. The pastor responded, really? Can something be true for me but not true for you? And, you know, he's in a dry cleaner. So, you know, holding up a, a, a shirt, a dress shirt, can I say that this is a dress shirt and you insist it's a Ferrari? We can't both be right. It's either one thing or the other. And this problem, this shows the problem with the belief that everybody has their own truths. Both views cannot possibly be true. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. What is truth? The essence of truth is uh, often described as absolute truth, ultimate truth. Um, our founding fathers called it self-evident truth. The biblical view of reality is one in which truth exists, it can be known, and it is relevant for everyone. That's the biblical view of reality. Truth exists, truth can be known, it's relevant for everyone. Josh McDowell said it this way, that which is true for all people, for all times, for all places. So we'll, we'll explain, kind of, we'll unpack that in just a minute. But truth is related to the character of God, who is eternal, and he is unchanging. And so the nature of truth is fixed. Truth doesn't have an expiration date. It's not true for this amount of time and then, not, uh, or, and then untrue later on. It's not up for revision, up for reinvention. But how does truth work? What makes something true? There's three theories I'll give you. Uh, to answer those questions. The first theory is called the correspondence theory. The correspondence theory says that truth is what corresponds to the world and the way people experience it. Truth is what corresponds to the world and the way people experience it. It's a common sense theory. When a person says something like, the city of Indianapolis is in the state of Indiana, that corresponds with the truth because there is a city called Indianapolis in the state of Indiana. But sometimes a person claims something that might seem to be true, but it might be difficult to correspond with as the way the world is perceived. So, for instance, people can say everybody sees things differently, but that doesn't mean there's no truth. 
It just means that some people see the matter incorrectly. For instance, if you're, in a, if you, if you're standing on a street corner and you witness a car accident, and there are four street corners, okay? You're, you're standing on one. You have a perception. Car A hit car B first. But a person on the other side of the street, on the other street corner, may say, no, car B hit car A first. Well, that's clearly a matter of a person's perspective from where they are, where they view the truth. The truth is those cars hit. And at some point, you'll figure out one of them hit one uh, first. It just means that, uh, you know, when, when people say everybody sees things differently, it doesn't mean there's not a truth there. It just means we have to work sometimes to find it. So somebody might say, well, this is X, and another person say, no, it's Y. Here's something that if you're going to write something down in, on the side or whatever, just so that you're aware uh, that this will come up again, what is true cannot also be not true. I'll write it down. What is true cannot also be not true. We'll come back to that statement in a minute. That's, a, that's the basic law of non-contradiction, which we'll get into in a, in a, a few minutes. Um, someone may sincerely believe they've made a true statement when they, when they say this is true when it's actually false. Sincerity is not a test of truth. We have a lot of people around the world who sincerely believe that their religion is the only way to heaven. Or they sincerely believe there is no way to heaven. They sincerely believe there is no God. They sincerely believe that all gods, all paths lead to nirvana, heaven, whatever you want to call it. So sincerity is not a test of whether it's true or not. People can be sincerely wrong. If you've ever worked in an office, you see that all the time. People are sincerely wrong about something. I swear I sent that memo. No, you didn't, Karen. You didn't send the memo. Because if you had sent the memo, I would have done this. So people can be sincere, but that's not the test of truth. Um, a A person can sincerely believe they can fly. But the moment they step off the edge of a roof, the truth of the law of gravity, which corresponds with reality, combined with this, their sincerely held belief they can fly, which does not correspond with reality, gravity will win the day. So it, sincerity is not the test of truth. Uh, truth is the test of truth. <laughs> the next theory is the number two on your page is the coherence theory. And the coherence theory says a statement is true if it logically if it is logically consistent if it's logically consistent with other beliefs that are held to be true and a belief is false if it is inconsistent with or contradicts other beliefs that are held to be true. So truth statements I know this is really deep but I'm going to I'm just kind of giving you some some really deep stuff here and then we'll kind of back off a little bit and I think you'll absorb a little bit Um, truth statements, according to this uh, theory of truth, they cohere. They they hold together with other things believed to be true. So, for instance, gravity exerts an equal force upon all objects. If you're on the planet Earth, gravity will exert a specific amount of force on your body. 
So according to this coherence theory, as soon as a person lets go of a rock in their hand, gravity will cause the rock to fall to the earth. And when you let go of a rock, it does fall to the earth. So that is essentially the coherence theory. Those two things, truth coheres, they work together. But the problem with the theory is a person can create their own version of truth where they bring things that are true and things that are not true together. And, okay, I know that's really abstract, but think of it this way, Star Trek. Yes, I am saying Star Trek is not true. Star Trek is set in a world, in a universe, where there is Earth and there are stars and there are planets and and humans. Um, But it's also set in a world where you can warp drive, which we, we don't yet have created. There are Klingons, which we have not yet discovered. And so what it does is it takes elements of truth, things we know to be true, and combines them with other things. And according to the coherence theory, Star Trek is just as true as... <laughs> In case for those on the recording, it just said Star Wars is as true as... Uh, Star Trek is just as true as Star Wars. No. No. Um, but according to the coherence theory, um, Star Wars is just as true as any uh, gravity. And, and, you know, so they cohere uh, because elements are true that are joined with elements that uh, we have not yet disproven. Klingons could exist. Um, We just don't know whether they do or not. Um, But anyway, so the third view, uh, the third theory of truth is called the pragmatic theory. And that simply means that truth is what works best. Truth is what works best. A statement is true if it allows a person to interact effectively and efficiently with the world. For instance, and it's important that I give you these examples because they can be very abstract and difficult to follow. So many, many years ago, um, the concept was that if you needed rain, they would sacrifice people to their God. Um, And so... uh, in order to make sure the rains in the spring came, they would sacrifice, uh, they would perform human sacrifice. They would kill a victim, and usually the rains would come. If they killed a victim and the rains didn't come, they assumed that the person they killed was not worthy sacrifice. They need to kill more people. Uh, we killed five this year. It didn't rain. Let's kill ten. Or we killed five this year. They were clearly horrible human beings and they deserved death as a punishment for something they did. We need to get five better people, you know. And so um, to them, it was true that human sacrifice brought the spring rains. But did they? Well, of course they didn't. And this is a, this is a logical, this is an example of what's called a logical fallacy. B follows A. Therefore, A caused B. Even if there's no logical connection between the two. We killed uh, someone, we, we performed a human sacrifice, and rains came. Therefore, the rains came because we killed someone. We performed human sacrifice. There, there, 
it, it sounds true if you follow the pragmatic theory. Um, it, it seemed to work, but clearly that's not what that's not truth. So which one is correct? Well, there each one of them have little elements of truth in them, but they all have problems as well, some worse than others. The Christian worldview incorporates. Uh, the Christian worldview is the truth because it incorporates the good elements of all the theories, but it accounts for all the bad ones. And so the claims of Christianity correspond to the world as it is experienced in history states it has been. So here are the main points. As I told you, each week we'll give you the main points of um, the the issue at hand and then counterpoints, what other people who disagree, dispute, um, say, and then we'll we'll kind of engage with them for a few minutes. The main points, first of all, absolute truth. This is what we believe. Absolute truth not only exists, its existence is self-evident. It's obvious. What is ultimately true is true at all times and all places for all people. Second, relativism, which we'll, we'll define in a, in a minute, um, relativism is self-defeating and therefore it's false. Number three, basic logic helps us to recognize and understand the nature of truth. Awareness of truth is knowledge available to all reasonable persons, hidden only if they willfully suppress it. Now, if you don't believe in absolute truth, then you believe the counterpoints. First, there's no such thing as absolute truth. What's true for me is true for me, and what's true for you is true for you. We all have our own truths. Number two, they believe there's no moral right or wrong. Beliefs about truth or mor- and morality are based on personal situations, cultural bias, or one's religious upbringing. So you only believe what you believe because of where you were raised. We only worship Jesus because we were raised in America. If we were raised in Saudi Arabia, we'd worship Allah. And so that's their opinion. Uh, Our morality and our belief about truth is specifically based on where you grew up, your upbringing, your culture. And number three, their counterpoint is truth is what works. If something works for the greatest good, of the majority, then it must be true. Well, what happened to truth? Not everybody, this wasn't always the case. This wasn't always the way things were. What happened was the Renaissance. The Renaissance was a time period 700 years ago, and previous to that, God was the measure of all things. He was the, he was the, the founder of the world, you know, the creator of the universe, and uh, so... Uh, he, he was the measure. God was the measure. But the Renaissance turned uh, humanity towards itself, and man became the measure. This was the beginning of what's called humanism. It's a philosophy that unfortunately got a lot of uh, traction at that time. Humanism is a value system that's rooted in the belief that man is his own measure. So, uh, again, what's true for me is true for me. It doesn't have to be true for you. And uh, I am the measure of my own morality, and what's moral for me doesn't have to be moral for you. You can live up to a higher moral code. That's perfectly fine for you, but it, you can't expect me to live up to that higher moral code. Um, and that, that man is independent and autonomous. We do what we want, when we want, and we answer to no one. Well, that, that's, that is incredibly dangerous. That's basically saying instead of God being sovereign, man is sovereign. We determine our own morality and our own ethics. Well, the idea failed. The optimism of the Renaissance ended in pessimism, and for many centuries, 
people promised they were going to deliver the truth. But the truth without God was elusive. And people finally came to the conclusion that there is no truth. That the method they tried to use to find the truth through the Renaissance, humanism, led them to nothing but lies, and so they decided there is no truth. Nowadays, there's a buzzword, and it's called postmodernism. And, and that's kind of where we find ourselves uh, today. Uh, postmodernism basically says there are no absolutes, um, including absolute truth. And according to postmodernism, um, people can construct their own stories, their own narratives. If you doubt me, and I know, again, this is so like, you know, intellectual, and if you feel like you're attending a college lecture. But so, so let, me, let me give you some examples. We have in our culture people who believe, and, and folks, we're way past the whole gender confusion thing, all right? That's not even, like, we're way past that. We have, we have that is not even our biggest issue. Right now, we have people who believe that they are a, a cat, and they want to surgically become a cat or a dog. They want to become what, whatever they feel like they are. And we have people who will surgically have horns implanted under their skin. They will modify their bodies. And so, you know, we used to think, man, you know, in the Christian world, we used to think homosexuality was, was a huge issue. And then transgender became a huge issue. And now, it, there, when there is no benchmark for truth, for um, understanding your identity, who you are in Christ... Um, then you can be whoever you want to be. There are people who um, they, they want to be a baby. They identify as a baby. So they drink bottles and they sleep in a crib and they suck on giant pacifiers. These people need Jesus. Here's the problem. If you wrap your identity around anything, unless it's Christ, it is a perversion. And so when you wrap your identity around pornography, you wrap your identity, identity around gambling, you wrap your identity around sexuality, if you make anything your God, if it's not Jesus, then you're going to have a really messed up view of the world around you. And so we see this, this concept, this postmodernism concept. What's true for them, they want to be a baby. And so you have to baby talk. This is weird. This is just super, super weird. There are, there are conferences where people who identify as, as uh, you know, animals, and they get together and they have these conventions where they can dress up. And I, I'm not talking about cosplay or, you know, I'm not talking about, like, costumes and, and stuff like this. I'm talking about people who literally think they are this. They, they uh, have surgery to become this. They identify as this. And on their job application, they don't want to check male or female. They want to check other and write in whatever they want to be, whatever they identify as. <clears throat> and, and while that is bizarre, um, and those are certainly extreme cases, um, the reality is that every single human being on this planet has an identity crisis. And if they don't find their identity deeply rooted in Jesus Christ, they'll always be searching for who they are. You know, I don't know who I am. What is the meaning of life? You're never going to find it when you look inside yourself. Because you, when, you, when you turn your attention away from God and back to yourself, you're always 
looking towards a fallen creature to identify, provide some sort of identity, and you'll always be searching, and you'll never be finding true identity. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. And when you, when you find your identity in Jesus Christ, you don't need to search for anything else. Because as, you know, as one of the songs we, we sing, we, I am who he says I am. And so whatever scripture says, whatever the Lord says about me, that's what I am. I'm not a cat. I'm not a dog. I'm not a donkey. I'm not, you know, a, 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 I was going to say a fawn or, you know, some of these other <laughs> mythological creatures. But this is the problem when there's no benchmark for truth. Truth is whatever you want it to be. And so it's relative. When truth is relative to, every, to each person, people are free to do their own thing. And, you know, I, I'm not old enough um, to remember the days of the hippies, but some of you may be. And the motto of the hippies was do your own thing. If it doesn't hurt anybody and it makes you happy, then do it. Well, the problem is that a lot of Christians have also bought into that worldview. Um, the dominant idea is just be left alone. That was basically the, you know, the, the attitude of apathy. Just, just leave me alone. Let me do my own thing. It's fine for me. And that's relativism. And so this is, uh, let, me, let me explain relativism, which is you know, kind of already explained it a little bit. But it's the concept that all truth is relative to each person. What's true for you is not necessarily relative truth to me. Um, so it can be true for you, and it can be not true for me, according to relativism. And there's no such thing as absolute truth. The denial of absolute truth has implications for Christianity. It leads to such statements as what's on your page, all religions lead to God. And you'll hear that if you're sharing your faith, if you're talking about Jesus Christ, if, you, if the Lord opens a door for you to share a, a scripture or pray with somebody and they're like, you know, do you mind if I pray for you? And they're like, you know, well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you could pray in to Allah, you could pray to Jesus, you could pray to Muhammad or Buddha or Krishna, or Vishnu, whatever. Now, all religions lead to God. But there's an incredibly big problem with that statement. And Jesus said something that created a very big problem with that idea. Does anybody remember the scripture that would kind of present a problem with that statement? Yes, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Now that leaves no room for ambiguity no room for confusion. I am the way. And what I shared for you, what I shared with you is in the Greek language, there is a word that is inserted anytime the word the appears. If the if that Greek word does not appear, then it's a way, a truth, a life. But in front of way, truth, and life is that Greek word that gives a designation, the, which means the only one of its kind. The way, the truth, the life. If I said I have the iPad in this room, then you would all say, you know, then that would mean there is no other iPad. If I say I have a iPad, an iPad in this room, then you would say, okay, there's probably other ones. You know, if I say the, I'm referring to one, the definite article. It is the only one. And when Jesus says I'm the way, the truth, the life, there means there is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other life. And no one comes, no one comes to the Father except 
through me. So he is like locking it down for everybody just in case you were, you were thinking, well, I can be a Muslim and still get to heaven. I can still be a Jew and still get to heaven. I can be a Hindu and still get to heaven. Not if you don't accept Christ as your Savior, you can't. The second thing that relativism uh, states is that all religions teach basically the same thing. Do they, though? No, they don't. That's the funny thing about that coexist sticker. Every time I see that stupid coexist bumper sticker, I just want to rip it off and key the car that has it on there. Because they don't, if they have that sticker on their car, do it. Okay, I don't want to ask, do any of you do it? Because I'm about to say something. And so if you do, just take it off. Or, or just don't let me know you have it. The coexist sticker doesn't work because the C in the word coexist wants to murder all of the other people. The C represents Islam. And Muslims believe you're born a Muslim. And if you are any other religion, that you're an apostate. And the, and the Quran says they can kill you for that. So the Jews and the Christians and the Hindus and the Buddhists and all the other symbols in the coexist deserve a death sentence according to the very first letter of the whole word. That's why coexist doesn't work. Because those people want to murder everybody else. Or they're entitled, according to their religion, to kill you because you're an apostate. Uh, and it's all because they believe you're born a Muslim and you're a backslidden Muslim. <clears throat> so uh, all religions do not teach the same thing. Christianity is the only religion that actually teaches something completely different. You are not saved by works. You are saved by grace through faith. No other world religion has, has that uh, means of salvation. Every other religion has a works-based religion. Christianity has grace-based. So they don't all teach the same thing. Uh, the third thing, Jesus is one of many great spiritual leaders. He could not possibly be one of, great, of many great spiritual leaders when he declares himself to be the Son of God. And people will say, he never. I have Jehovah's Witnesses that come by my house all the time because there's a kingdom hall right outside my subdivision. And I'm surprised they haven't marked my house yet because when they come by, I have a copy of the New World Translation, their Bible, by my front door with scriptures earmarked in that Bible to disprove to them with their own holy book that Jesus is the Son of God. When a Jehovah's Witness came to my front door, um, I said, uh, you know, I, of course, you, you immediately recognize them. And so they're like, we, we'd like to leave you with this. And I said, are you Jehovah's Witness? <clears throat> and he said, yes. And I said, okay, let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself to be a Christian? And he said, yes, we, we, consider, ourselves to be a, we consider ourselves to be a Christian. And I said, well, uh, so a Christian is defined by a person who believes Jesus Christ, it's in the word, Christian, Jesus Christ was the Son of God that he died on the cross for our sins, that he made an atonement for our sins, that he was perfect, blameless, and that he rose from the dead, and that he ascended on high. So you believe that, right? And of course the Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that. They don't believe anything I just said. They don't believe he's the Son of God. They don't believe he died on the cross for our sins. They don't believe that his blood was a substitutionary atonement, and they don't believe he bodily rose from the dead, and they certainly don't believe he ascended on high to take the place on the right hand of the Father, even though Scripture says every one of those things. They consider themselves, themselves to be a Christian. And he says, well, we, we don't believe that. We, we believe Jesus never said he was the Son of God. I'm like, really? 
He never said it. Hold on, let me get your Bible. And so I pull up these scriptures and I say, it's in the Gospel of John. Jesus actually says he is the Son of God. Here, let me go to this scripture. In the Bible, it says that when an angel appeared to someone, they would, you know, John would fall down at his feet. And the angel would say, no, 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 do not worship me. Worship God alone. Angels could not receive worship. Men could not receive worship. Nobody could receive worship except God. And repeatedly in the New World Translation, as well as, of course, all our own Bibles, Jesus received worship over and over and over by the disciples, by uh, Zacchaeus, by uh, Nicodemus, by the, the Roman centurion at the cross. Surely this man was the son of God. He's receiving worship when the woman breaks the alabaster jar and perfume pours out and she, she wets his feet with her tears and dries his feet with her hair. He's receiving worship because he's God. And so I'm going through their own Bible. Well, while I'm doing this, I'm talking to the guy. His wife is like, we need to go, honey. We need to go. You know, let's mark this house. <laughs> Check this house off our list. And I'm like, look, all I'm saying is if you're going to say you're going to be a Christian, then believe what the Bible says. And this is your Bible. This is what it says. Maybe you should read it for yourself instead of just taking what other people tell you that it says, read it for yourself, and you'll see what it says. So uh, you can't believe Jesus is just one of many great spiritual leaders because he's either the Lord of all, or as one, uh, teach, as one uh, Christian pastor said, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Lord. Because he said he was the Son of God, so he, if he's not, he's a liar. Um, he said he was the Son of God, but maybe he was crazy. Well, if he's, if he's a lunatic or a liar, he's not a great spiritual teacher. If you find out that someone is lying to you and telling you, oh, but 90% of what he says, 75% of what he says, 10% of what he says was true, you're not going to listen to that person. The first time you hear them say something that is blatantly false, unbiblically, unbiblical and completely untrue, you're going to go, eh, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Um, so he's not one of many great spiritual leaders. All right. Uh, i got to speed up. Uh, no such thing as ultimate truth exists. And all beliefs are equally valid. That's relativism. All beliefs are equally valid. What's true for you is just as good as my truth. Unfortunately, some Christians believe these statements, like the young lady at the dry cleaners who said, we all have our own truths. Well, this presents some challenges for us because how can somebody be turned, uh, how, can be, how can somebody be convinced to turn away from sin and turn to Christ if they're not even convinced that what they've done is wrong. If there's no actual absolute truth that exists, uh, or if, ulti if ultimate uh, truth is it exists but it's unknowable, then we're, we're making these claims about Jesus being ex the exclusive way to God. And if you don't believe in truth, then you can't prove it. And so uh, some people say, well, it, you know, without ultimate truth, there's, we're not fallen, we're not sinful, we're not in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ didn't need to come and die. So relativism is the assumption that all beliefs are equally valid. And it is a philosophy wrapped up in selfishness. Truth is subjective. Truth is all about what's right and true for you as the individual. And everybody else has their own subjective standard. 
based on what he wants and what's right for them. Think about it this way. Think about if you took a multiple-choice test. There's a question. There's four options, A, B, C, and D. And you studied, and you prepared, and you took the test, and you turned it in. And you got a, a 65. And you're like, wait a minute. I, st- I know those were the right answers. Well, it's really subjective. I basically just kind of went off what I felt like was the truth. Like, wait a minute. I know what the right answer was. You can't say B is right when it was clearly A. That's what the textbook says. I can give you the page number. I can tell you exactly. I can quote the textbook. Well, I didn't really feel like it was the right answer. Like, you'd quit that class in a heartbeat because it's, it's either true or it's not true. And... What we need to understand is that if truth does not exist, for when people say truth does not exist, there is no such thing as absolute truth. Think about that statement for just a second. People say there is no such thing as absolute truth. That statement is self-defeating because it's an absolute statement. The statement of there is no absolute truth Yeah, it cannot exist because it would technically be an absolute truth if it were true. So it cannot, you know, that mentality is completely self-defeating. And you're going to run into people who don't don't get it. They don't understand that that statement is a false statement. It cannot be true because it would prove itself to be true, but it's actually proving the negation of itself. And so it's like, you know, a wheel and a wheel and a wheel. It's just like going to blow your mind if you really try to understand this. <clears throat> and the problem is that people don't understand natural law. Um, <laughs> so everybody, like I have, t- I have three teenagers and I have twin, uh, almost three-year-olds. And these three-year-olds, at the age almost three, they know when they are doing something they shouldn't do. And they feel guilt and they feel shame and they go hide. When I say Gideon... And he's like, and he takes off running, and he hides because he feels shame. Why? Because he knows what he did was wrong. There's natural law. When he slaps his brother, usually it's Sam, when Sam slaps Gideon across the face, he knows he shouldn't do it. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, Bubba. And he thinks a hug will negate the slap. And uh, so we're, we're working on that. But people innately know that stealing, lying, cheating, murdering, it's wrong. And the very fact that people, when they're found guilty or when they're guilty of doing something, they try to make excuses. And that proves there are natural laws in place that you know what you did was wrong, and so you try to defend yourself. Kind of like a crook who uh, flees from the scene of the crime. You know, when the cops are looking for somebody, they look for a guy who's running or hiding. Like, why are you running? Uh, you know, did you do this? No, I was just out for a jog with this bag of VCRs over my shoulder. You know, <clears throat> I'm clearly dating myself. Um, but, uh, you know, police would say, well, fleeing the scene of the crime is proof of guilt. You felt guilty. You wanted to get away. And so you're feeling guilt and shame and you know what you've done is wrong. This is because God's laws are written on our hearts. Um, Romans 2, 14 through 15, it says, so when Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences testify in support of this, and their competing thoughts either accuse 
or excuse them. That's Romans 2, 14 through 15, if you want to write that down. So super quickly, because I pretty much run out of time. Um, longer, there's like three TED Talks here. <clears throat> so there's uh, laws of logic, and I'm going to give them really quickly just so you can know what they are. The first one is the law of non-contradiction. I'm sorry I didn't put them uh, on your paper. The law of non-contradiction. And what the law of non-contradiction means that if something is, it is either A or it is um, not A. It can't be both. So something, um, if something contradicts itself, it can't be true. If it's true, it cannot contradict itself. And so it states absolutely um, that there, sorry, and, and relativism contradicts itself because relativism states absolutely there is no absolute truth. Well, that statement is an absolute truth. Therefore, it's self-defeating, and it defies the law of non-contradiction. Um, so it's either true or it's not true. It can't be both. Um, there's a law of the excluded middle. I'm going to erase this. The law of the excluded middle. <clears throat> and what that means is it's a thing is either A or not A, as we said in the previous one. So it's, it's either, the statement is either true or its negation is true. For instance, Jason is mortal or Jason is not mortal. Both can't be true. And the middle position, which is excluded, is that Jason is neither mortal nor non-mortal. It's like, okay, well, that's unnecessary. He either is or he isn't. You can't be in the middle, or you can't be both. And so the first possibility, Jason is mortal, is, uh, or it's negation, Jason is not mortal, one of those have to be true. Um, you don't have to worry about the middle statement that kind of gives it credence. It's kind of confusing. And the last one is the law of identity. The law of identity. If A exists, then it is A. So if it exists, then it exists. It can't be true. And uh, if it's true, then it's true. Um, it's true because it exists. It's self-explanatory, but it pretty much kills the claim that something can be true for one person and not another. And again, I know there's a lot, a lot of you know, college-level content at you, but but let's wrap it up. The truth that truth exists. When you come in contact with people, especially you know millennials or any any younger generation, um, really anybody. I mean, it doesn't have to be millennials. I know we sometimes give them a hard time. Womp womp. But um, uh, but when you talk to somebody who doesn't believe in absolute truth, um, you know we we try to we be we want to be loving towards them. As I said last week, uh, a person to be loved is way more important than an argument to be won. And so our goal is not to go out there. Let's win a bunch of arguments. Our goal is to love people and to help them see the lies that the enemy has told them so that they can see Jesus Christ in all of this. Um, scripture tells us, it demands that we speak the truth. We're not here to tickle people's ears. We're not here to, to make them feel better. We're here to share the truth. Um, a guy named J.P. Moreland, he wrote, Paul tells us that the church, not the university, not the media, not public schools, the church 
is the pillar and support of the truth. If we're not telling people the truth, who will? We have the word of God, we have the standard, and if we're not willing to step up and share the truth with people, then nobody will. Pilate asked Jesus the, the quintessential question, what is truth? Quid est veritas? What is truth? When Jesus was face-to-face with Pontius Pilate, he wanted to know truth. What is truth? And there are five facts about truth. It exists. It can be known. It corresponds to reality. It can be expressed in words. And it is personally relevant. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so a rejection of truth is not really a rejection of this abstract concept, which, what it's become. It's really a rejection of Jesus Christ. He is the truth. He is the word of God. He is the son of God. He is the, the embodiment, the second member of the Trinity. He is God. And so when we reject, when, when the enemy convinces somebody to reject truth, they're really rejecting Jesus. And if they can see that we can chisel away a few of their arguments and say, okay, if you say there is no such thing as absolute truth, then you've, you've just disproven your own statement. And so you begin to give people some, um, some ways. And you know, as I said last week, we're never gonna, we don't want to argue people into the kingdom of heaven, but we can share with them statements to help uh, expose the lies that they have chosen to believe. So for us, we want to have a relationship with the truth. We want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that reveals to us the truth. And we want to make sure that we have this authentic commitment to the truth, uh, a relationship with Jesus who called himself the truth in John fourteen six, And it, that has to manifest in how we behave. It has to manifest in what we believe, what we say we believe. And... Though some in today's culture work hard to suppress the obvious, truth does exist, and it can be personally known in the man Jesus Christ. Any questions? Probably have, you're probably going to have to just like chew on this for a couple of days. <clears throat> this is deep stuff. Hopefully, this will be the, the if, if you're like, man, I don't know if I can handle another Wednesday night like this. It, it won't be all this cerebral, um, but... From here forward, if we don't establish that there does exist absolute truth, then we are never going to be able to convince people of the other things, that there is a God, that Jesus can be, you know, that he died for our sins. Those are truths that must be believed in order to be saved, and if you don't believe in absolute truth, you'll never get to those points. Yes, Cliff? False. If truth does not exist, then by definition, that statement is also false because it would be a truth that would negate itself. Yeah. Would you stand with me this evening? Yeah, stand again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Making you stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. Get your... Get, well, hey, you know what? If you're wearing a Fitbit, you can step while you're standing and... I used to actually, when we were on a car ride, um, I would go like this. And I would have like 10,000 steps driving from, you know, Houston to Dallas. And uh, my wife's like, that's cheating this system. Got to get my steps in. You're like stepping anywhere. Yeah, but I'm moving. 
and it doesn't understand the difference. That is uh, relative truth. <clears throat> All right, let's. I, and again, I know this was deep content, but um, but it, now that you, you you've you've gone past it, it's it's all downhill from here. Um, it's all going to be good and, and hopefully a little bit easier to chew on and and uh, stay with me. So uh, hopefully I haven't turned any of y'all off. But let's pray, Father. We love you and uh, we thank you that we can know you, that you have revealed yourself to us through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, that you reveal yourself to us. Your desire is for us to know the truth and for that truth to set us free. And there are so many people that are walking in bondage, so many people walking in darkness. And those who are walking in darkness, we believe they can, they need to, and they will see the great light. Those walking in darkness will see a great light, the light of truth in Jesus Christ. So help us. Help us love people enough to be willing to engage with them, even the, the hardest of hearts, even those people who are the, the most argumentative and the atheists and the agnostics and those who are so far from you and want nothing to do. Lord, help us lovingly engage them so that we can help them see the falseness of what they believe and the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, but ultimately, as we said, Lord, we, we want to have just an overwhelming heart of love and compassion for these folks so that we can demonstrate um, the change that you have made in our life and, uh, and what it can do in their life as well. Lord, you know where we're going to go this week. God, can direct us. We pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would put us in the path of people who need prayer, who need healing, who need hope, who need encouragement. You'd give us the words to say when we meet them. Lord, we love you and we exalt your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.